Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Greetings, comrades. This is a, a recap episode about Russia's current events, and, you know, events relating to Russia lately, a follow-up to the PVC Wagner episode, because things have um, escalated a bit, so to speak. First off, I would like to start this one with a quote that uh, almost seems prophetic right now. <clears throat> While the whole world is chasing the virtual Bin Laden, saving itself from the world terrorism... There is now a monster drinking blood like Hitler behind Kremlin walls. And if he will not be stopped in time, there is a possibility that this maniac in the very closest time will bring civilization to another world war in which millions and millions of human lives shall burn. End quote. It's a quote by Alexander Litvinenko, made in 2006. That's the guy who was killed by polonium in his tea by Kremlin agents. The kind of uh, the ex-FSB dude. This uh, comes in handy when you think about events in Crimea, but especially about Putin's nuclear threats in his recent State of the Union speech, by the way. Uh, he didn't give the speech last year. I have to add this here, even though it's constitutionally required that he does. My uh, prediction that Putin might just disappear did not come through, sadly. But... um. One thing that I do have to say is that having flu for three weeks is a bit suspicious, but mostly everyone now thinks that he was just out there getting new injections or whatever. Now, as you might have heard in this in this speech, Putin kind of uh, spent his first half stating about how he has improved Russian economy, which we have learned from the previous episode that it was uh, basically a lie, and the second part was spent on threatening everyone with his new armaments. Now, what exactly did he present here? Well, quite a few things, actually, because, yeah, uh, it seemed like his speech was written by two completely different people, or more likely two completely different groups of people, because um, <laughs> the speech, uh, it featured a lot of uh, CGI and videos, and uh, most of them were, even though most of them were cartoons, made by uh, television in 2007, and in one of them he uh, attacked <laughs> attacked uh, the state of uh, Florida. That's still pretty funny, but the weapons that he presented, however, and claimed to exist, was firstly the new Sarmat ballistic missile. This uh, new ICBM 
will replace Russia's Voyevoda rockets, uh, Voyevoda rockets known as Satan in uh, the West, by the way. And he claims that active tests of these have already begun. Technically, the missile, uh, this new, uh, this new Sarmat missile, weighs about 2,000 tons, and uh, <clears throat> he claims it to have unlimited range. This Sarmat can, according to Putin, then be equipped with an array of high-powered nuclear and hypersonic munitions, as well as it apparently has the latest technology, uh, which is designed to thwart missile defense systems. About the reliability of this claim. Well, the Sarmat missile is based upon an older Soviet ICBM model, which was used to launch uh, ships into space, which is why the Soviet media people in Russia all joked that, yay, we can now shoot Teslas out of space. But basically, there's a tiny bit of a problem, because for the rocket that it's based on, the engines were produced in Ukraine. In Kharkov, uh, to be more exact. Now, the problem is that uh, Ukrainians do, know, do not any longer provide any missile engines to Putin. So, you know, uh, how this Sarmat missile shall uh, be able to launch itself, well, nobody really knows. And secondly, you should always remember how uh, Russian space launches have gone in the past few years. So, again... It's highly unlikely that this missile, if it even exists, really, actually can can manage to do something. Secondly, which really, really made me feel extra happy, was he presented another new cruise missile with a nuclear-powered engine. Because Putin stated that Russia has already successfully tested a still-unnamed cruise missile with nuclear propulsion that has unlimited range and an unpredictable flight pattern. The missile does not use ballistic trajectory when approaching its target, meaning that existing missile defense systems are powerless against it. I have a question here. How do you put a nuclear engine on a rocket? Now, as far as I know of, and uh, as people have commented on the Russian internet, Putin took his um, images and, you know, made made the cartoon look kind of similar to what Lockheed Martin are doing with with uh, some of their planes or whatever. It was clearly inspired by the Lockheed Martin's video on their side. But, um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you literally cannot put a nuclear engine on a rocket with today's technology. Secondly, how would that even work? And thirdly, again, we come to the thing that this rocket probably doesn't even exist. <laughs> and and uh, after after this reveal, some of the Putin's advisors kind of introduced the name... <clears throat> introduced that uh, this this rocket should be named after some of the leaders in Donbass. Yeah, uh, namely Givi, which is super funny, because that was one of the first kind of uh, these leaders of separatist terrorist troops who started the whole thing in Donbass and Luhansk and then promptly were exploded in, during the warfare. So, um... <laughs> uh, let's see how that turns out, but this doesn't even, like, uh, completely completely do crazy things with, with all the Putin's advices here. Next, we have intercontinental underwater drones. The president claimed that Russia had developed unmanned underwater vehicles capable of intercontinental range that are faster than submarines, the latest torpedoes and the quickest surface ships. Which is, again, even funnier, but at least he limits the range somehow. 
Because, you know, <clears throat> unlimited range cruise missiles that do not follow ballistic trajectories. Yeah, unlimited range here, meaning that it'll basically, you know, go to the moon, then come back, then fly around Earth 900 million times and strike the one precise spot wherever. And intercontinental underwater drones are, um, well, what can you, what can you do with, with those things? You can sink some ships, okay, possibly, but it's, it's still pretty weird. But even that's not it. <clears throat> Then there's the hypersonic Kinjal missile system. Uh, because Putin stated that, quote, In early December, Moscow started deploying the experimental hypersonic high-precision guided Kinjal, which is a form of a dagger, air missile system in Russia's southern military district. Quote, Using this weapon, aircraft can deliver missiles to a launch point in a matter of minutes. While in flight, this missile performs maneuvers along its entire route, moving at more than 10 times the speed of sound. That is ridiculous. Uh, modern, modern, um, modern missiles, modern hypersonic missiles usually, you know, can fly like five to six times the speed of sound, but they're ridiculously, ridiculously experimental and super expensive. And uh, I'll speak about why this whole thing isn't very likely yet. <clears throat> then there was the RS-26 avant-garde missile system. This system, apparently, is Russia's latest high-tech weapon to go into mass production. <clears throat> Quote, The new weapon can travel intercontinental distances in dense layers of the atmosphere at hypersonic speeds faster than Mach 20, maneuvering and striking its target like a meteorite, like a fireball. The rocket travels so fast, Putin said, that it nearly melts into plasma in mid-flight. So they can fire something up and then it will evaporate or something. And then, then he spoke about weaponized laser systems, finally. So, you know, all these nice things. He claims that Russia is developing a new laser-based weapons system that, you know, they were already, that were already put into limited use last year. Putin didn't reveal a lot of details about these devices, except that, except he mentioned that Russia is a lot ahead of other countries in this field. And um, finishing his presentation, Putin also stated that, quote, Russia's new missile technology renders meaningless both American missile defense systems and the eastward expansion of NATO. Okay, so uh, we have essentially a new Wunderwaffe group, so to speak, because as, uh, as scary as this sounds, and even if it is real, which is highly doubtable, it really doesn't doesn't provide much danger to the Western world. And here's why. Okay, so number one. When on the defensive end, Russia has eight stationary missile detection bases. Russia has no ship-based missile detection, and it lost it lost its last orbital missile detection satellite in 2014, so it doesn't even have any orbital detection. So, even if their magical laser works, then it will not be able to shoot down anything, because it will just simply not spot the target. Well, on the contrary, NATO forces have uh, plenty of uh, surface missile detection bases themselves. We also have orbital detection, both in geostationary orbit and in, like, the one the, in, the, in the geocentric orbit. And we also have the Aegis system, thanks to the United States. And uh, this kind of reminds me how the Russian military explained why the anti-air systems they given to Assad's government couldn't stop the tri uh, strikes by the United States and Israel, and their explanation was, <clears throat> due to the curvature of the Earth and how the rockets fly, we couldn't detect them because they were far away and moving too fast. 
So, you know, the Russians couldn't even stop conventional missiles uh, fired at um, their allies' bases because the Earth is round. What can I say? Take that flat Earth society, but uh, seriously, that's pretty bad on its own even. Secondly, on the fa- on the offensive end, which is uh, the most important part here, because like 90% of these weapons were purely offensive, like I mentioned, Russia can't get the Sarmata rocket going on because its engines were produced in Ukraine. They only have had a single prototype built that was on their military parade uh, in the Red Square, and nobody even knows if it's even capable of flying. Same goes for the nuclear-powered cruise missile, which apparently was developed by the same engineers who, and I remind you here, were caught using their work supercomputers to mine Bitcoin for themselves because they hadn't been paid salaries in full, uh, in full for months now. But it's okay because they can just say that the rocket turned into plasma while in the air. Seriously, everyone, including Russian-owned military experts, uh, quite seriously doubt these uh, capabilities, these fantastic things <laughs> that, uh, that Putin kind of provides. And finally, not like responsible people in the West, who are in the military business, don't follow these news. Uh, Recently, in a report by the United States Department of Defense, uh, Secretary Mattis said, quote, The Secretary said his role is to make strategic assessments and that he saw no change to the Russian military capability in Putin's remarks. The systems that the Russian president had talked about are still years away. The secretary said, adding that he doesn't uh, see them changing the military balance. They do not impact any need on our side for a change in our deterrent posture, which would be certainly an indication I registered this assessment with, something that was changing, Mattis said. Moscow's cancellation of scheduled strategic security talks shows a Russia that's not even acting in its own best interest, he added. Like, (laughs) seriously, of all the places... Russia would not be on the bleeding edge of weapons technology because uh, what they do with their own cars, for example, or or their own planes, is that they basically uh, combine them from the Western technology. For example, like Aeroflot planes uh, are flying by using French engines for years now because Russia cannot develop their own uh, plane engines because they are too loud and too expensive and they just have no fuel economy. So, and they don't also have, they don't even have the necessary details to, to kind of uh, service them and to maintain them. So now that, now they use French ones with the French details being imported and, you know, spare parts and everything. Also, about the economy, combined Russian GDP at this moment is about the same size as that of the state of New York. Not even talking about all the states, just it's approximately the size of the state of New York. And that's just the tip of iceberg, really. Because firstly, obviously this speech had political goals in mind, and was meant for internal internal audiences, because a lot of people now in Russia know about the Wagner catastrophe, a lot of people know about how their planes uh, collapse and crash down all the time, and how people in Syria, uh, the, the guys revolting against the Assad government, are just beating them down. So it highly puts in doubt the fact that they can do it. And also, when we talk about the economy here, you have to understand that with uh, their economy in shambles and in constant recession and with, like, oil prices being so low, these two parts of Putin's speech just cannot combine into into any coherent story because when Putin promises total stability and um, 
well, okay, I can give him that one. But when Putin promises total stability and utter prosperity while in overly increasing his government's military spendings uh, with such extravagant claims of, uh, like, massively superior technology, with uh, one-fifth of all Russians living in poverty, uh, yeah, that's that's a bit of a... That's a bit of a pickle here, because where does the money come from? And obviously it will come, well, from the people and oil sales, and oil sales are going down because the oil price was way lower than expected. So that's a thing. So either Russia will have weapons and they will start a massive, massive arms race, which probably will happen, and that is why this, uh, this, this episode is called One Minute to Midnight. But by doing so, they might as well just bankrupt their own country, because that probably will happen. But, at the same time, Putin managed to thank the FSB for, quote, keeping a lid on Russia's glorious new weapons. And these news come from the 5th of March by Medusa, quote, At a collegium meeting of the Federal Security Service, FSB, on Monday, Vladimir Putin praised the agency for protecting the secrecy of Russia's next-generation weapons programs, several of which the president highlighted in his State of Nation speech last week. Putin said that thousands of people worked over many years to research and design Moscow's latest military technology, and the FSB, he said, successfully prevented foreign intelligence agents from discovering Russia's state secrets, thwarting 469 acts by foreign intelligence operatives in 2017 alone. Now, the, the problem is that he could have picked any arbitrary number on this, and it's really, really, really easy to guard uh, guard the lead and, you know, keep secret weapons from the Western intelligence agencies if they simply do not exist. Like, uh, you know, it's uh, like some sort of super stealth technology. Nobody, nobody in Russia even know about this idea. And uh, secondly, why I believe that this whole thing was a massive, massive, massive sham, because Russia can neither afford it, and if they can, it'll just make sure everyone in their country is starving and turning into North Korea, and yeah, they, they're having active talks about uh, kind of removing themselves from the world, world internet, by the way, and they're prepared for this occasion, and there are serious talks by, by ministers. But yeah, one other thing is about how the Russian media portrayed all this, um, all this thing, really, how it went down, the whole speech, and how it was portrayed to your average average Russian citizen watching watching it all on national television, because uh, still, there is a huge, huge gap there in Russia between people who use internet and people who watch television, because uh, a vast majority of Russians use use the TV as their main source. But basically, uh, what happened was that about an hour before Putin's address, uh, the Pervi, Pervi Canal, like the first channel, the official uh, kind of state channel on public television, uh, they started the coverage. Guests and presenters were basically speculating on what the president would say, and the general consensus was that the message would be devoted to socio-economic plans for Russia, like, in the course of the next six years. Which is, <clears throat> which will be Putin's next presidential term. Experts argued that Russia now <clears throat> now enjoys clarity on the foreign policy front, saying Putin would focus largely on the domestic issues. Though they, they guessed that Putin would make some time for Syria, the US, and Ukraine, and stuff like that. But uh, when the speech ended, fun things happened. Artyom, Sh Artyom Shainin, 
on the Pedvi Canal, uh, basically just after Putin's address was over, reported, quote, <clears throat> I have just been told that they woke Donald Trump 28 times during the speech. All per all Pedvi Canal, they um, characterized the president's speech in the following terms, quote, <clears throat> The Anglo-Saxons are worried. Russians are breaking new ground. It was an address to the city and to the world. Now Russia isn't just a nuclear power, but a little bit more. And they also called this thing <clears throat> a game changer. On the channel Russia Adin, the weekly news program 60 Minutes, actually titled its broadcast Hysteria in the West. And uh, one other thing is that all the guests and, and the guys leading these shows, they emphasize that Putin's speech doesn't mark the start of a new arms race pointing out that the president devoted most of his remarks to Russia's socio-economic development, arguing that the country's national defense is merely a prerequisite for any progress at home. And uh, those journalists on this Pervi Canal stated that, quote, <clears throat> advances in the defense industry, moreover, will fuel Russia's technological superiority. Uh, at the same time when they're losing tons of money uh, in the Indian market, which is one of the major, which is one of the major exports of their technology, and as the sanctions are hitting them, yeah, like I said, quite unlikely. Other national television networks like Russia Adin and NTV told viewers that the new weapons unveiled by Putin could even compel the West to lift sanctions against Moscow, spark the creation of a quote world security system, and launch new negotiations. Uh, some guests on those stations warned that the president's focus on the military could aggravate relations and force Moscow to, quote, brandish its big stick. But yeah, eventually, as Western heads of state ignored all this, all this Putin's speech, Russian news networks had to rely on reactions from foreign television stations and Russian oppositionists on social media in order to depict the supposed panic in, the, in whatever Kremlin at that point declared as its main opponent. All these guests and, and like journalists there, they they were basically arguing and, and they were joking that quote opposition members are quick to criticize the government's policies without offering anything new themselves. And when the president's critics accused Putin of promoting fancy missiles to distract from poverty and low pensions at home, the experts invited onto network TV fired back that Putin has made increasing social spending a top priority over the next six years. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Again. <laughs> The, the thing is, you know, you, you can't really increase social spending 
if uh, if they have no money in, in the country at all. Because, uh, you see, the uh, United States also spent a lot on its military, but as far as I know of, you also have quite a, quite a few things in the social budget. Uh, but in Russia, for example, the health care of people uh, is 2.93% of the budget, which is less than 3%. I think it's about 30% in the United States too, so uh, you have to kind of compare these, these things here. <laughs> but, um, yeah... Doing any improvements in Russia would mean that Putin would basically have to stop down closing on small businesses and nationalizing everything that moves so that he can steal the money. Which will not happen. Entirely, completely, uh, basically both Pervi Kanal and Rashia Ajin, they both spent two and a half hours of airtime analyzing this Putin speech, and they devoted their entire daytime and evening news uh, to the subject. NTV discussed the address for 90 minutes. The fun thing was uh, that for more than for more than a day, and I followed this on Twitter, nobody said anything about this speech. But of course, you know, Donald Trump tweeted uh, tweeted at some point uh, at, about this because uh, when asked to respond to Putin's claim that Russia has quote invincible nuclear weapons, Pentagon spokesperson Dana White stated that quote we're not surprised by the statements and the American people should rest assured that we're fully prepared. Uh, the British Defense Secretary, Gavin Williamson, described the Russian president's speech as, quote, path of escalation and provocation. And, uh, yeah, a day later, German ca- Chancellor Merkel's press office kind of, you know, very quietly revealed that she had spoken to Donald Trump by telephone on March the 1st, and they both reportedly expressed concerns about Putin's talk of nuclear weapons. Uh, this whole thing came from a Medusa.io article, which was, which was uh, written by Mikhail Zelensky. Now, what does this again mean? Does Russia really have invincible nukes? No. Does Russia have a problem with, uh, you know, mobilizing its own voters, especially the, the youth, with recent in the light of recent events? Almost definitely. Besides, since the newest polling shows that the rating of Putin in the major cities has been slowly declining over the past few months. It's no longer 86%. It's about... Uh, and even that is is really inflated. It's about 60% in Moscow and Petersburg. So yeah, <laughs> I conclude here that this is more for uh, internal consumption, to be honest. And is really concerning, and Putin's really just concerning himself with the elections, and is just wavering, wavering around his big stick to show that he's a massive strongman president that makes the West fear him. Because that's how he can gain some legitimacy in the eyes of the people who will vote for him, and how he can appear as this strongman dude. But again, it goes into more complex details like that. Because um, there will be elections on the 18th of March, and um, I'll speak about them soon, but another thing (laughs) is that um, even if Putin would want to nuke someone, there's a question about whom will he nuke, because uh, his his cronies and his oligarchs all own massive amounts of properties in the West. They have money put there, and like all of Russia's Russia's elite, have children in the United States, in Britain, and everywhere. Hey, they even have stuff in Latvia, because recently our um, our central bank director got arrested 
because the United States uh, Secret Service has basically leaked that some of our biggest banks have been helping Russia launder money. This, clo- this led to a closure of Latvia's third largest bank, ABLV, and um, there are still rumors that uh, this might not be the only bank who had been doing this. And besides, Michael Isikoff and David Korn uh, kind of, you know, published a book called Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. And there, he ba- they basically uh, noted that they have sources stating that Putin's daughters have accounts in Latvia's, ba- Latvia's banks as well. So, hey, even the Baltics are out of the question. So, if uh, Putin would want to do something, he probably would, but uh, I guess this is a way how to ensure his own popularity. But that's kind of the final thing. What? Will he nuke his own, like, will he nuke the kids of his own elites? Will he do something silly as that? See, um, one of the commentators, Yuri Gimelfarb, uh, well, which I spoke about in the opposition episode, also commented on this, and he stated that, hey, Stalin uh, was properly disinterested into the West. Stalin was self-sufficient. Stalin didn't have any friends around in the West. He was all by himself and he was completely independent. Putin, however, is a modern, modern dictator, an oligarch. So, uh, Putin has all these nice Western goods. He likes Western technology imported where, you know, they combine it and then present it as Russian industry. And he has to rely on support for all of his cronies, because, you know, if they go down, they'll go down together. So again, Stalin had nothing to lose in the West. Putin and his friends and family have a lot to lose in the West. Which, I think, puts the final nail in the the coffin of the idea that Putin actually wanted to nuke the West and that some things will start now. And an arms race might happen, because, you know, Putin has kind of pushed that lever and Putin has made sure that the West will now... uh, increase their military presence in Eastern Europe and that they'll start taking him way more seriously whether or not these rockets even actually exist, such as what Britain is now doing due to the recent recent poisoning of, of uh, one of their uh, one of their people, uh, one of the ex-GRU agents in, in London as far as I know of. So the elections. I want to start with uh, two kind of anecdotes about this stuff that has happened lately, so that you could understand the insanity that's going on there with uh, their <clears throat> elections of the 18th of March. First of all, they are now arresting people for agitation for presidential candidates that are not Putin. <laughs> yeah, that, that even influences the kind of uh, Communist Party candidates, which have a sizable, uh, sizable support in Russia. They have a candidate, Pavel Grudinin, the economist, that, which I spoke about in previous episodes, uh, the one who is uh, leading his limited liability company, Sovkhoz, in the name of Lenin, which is all fun by itself. But he's a legit candidate with a party that is a parliamentary party. They, they have a minority in the parliament, but essentially uh, it's a parliamentary party, which means they have like extra rights. Uh, he didn't have to gather signatures for his candidature and stuff like that. So he's official. And uh, people who are spreading leaflets asking to vote for him are getting harassed in the streets, and there are reports from people getting uh, arrested and their cars checked just because they, for example, have a Grudinian bumper sticker, 
Because people are afraid and don't care, even if uh, what they're doing is perfectly legal, unlike, you know, uh, the boycott thing, which is promoted by Navalny and his supporters, because he isn't a member of a parliamentary party and isn't their candidate. But what Grudzinian doing is perfectly legal, just, you know, cops do not care. They're too afraid of any repercussions. That's part one. Part two is that Putin has followed his 18 years, 18 year tradition and did not participate in, in any TV debates, even though, again, he has to by law, but he doesn't care about such tiny things anymore. However, that doesn't, that didn't stop presidential debates from happening. And, uh, these presidential debates were extra fun this year because our best friend Zhirinovsky from the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, Basically called, uh, who's a presidential candidate of that party, and he has always been a presidential uh, candidate uh, from that party since Russia began. He's obviously a spoiler candidate just like everyone else, but he basically called Ksenia Sobchak, who is another officially registered presidential candidate, and you know, uh, one of the ones about which, whether or not she is a spoiler, that's being debated now and she's kind of the more liberal, western-leaning candidate there. Yeah, he called her a... And this is going to be rude. <clears throat> a stupid woman, a filthy whore, just completely disgusting and terrible. And she should just stick sit at home with kids, and that nobody, no, no real man would even want her. And he did that on prime time and public television during the debates. For that, Miss Subjak asked him whether or not that's how that's whether or not that's the way how to speak with a woman, not not even speaking about a presidential candidate, and powered a glass of water on him. Then, Mr. Pavel Grudinin decided that this was quite much enough for him, and he just said that all this, all this presidential debate is a joke, and left. Meanwhile, like I said, Putin's ratings in uh, the major cities are steadily, steadily declining. There's a lot of speak about boycott, and uh, due to this, Putin's government has taken some very irrational things, such as recently uh, they commanded to kind of they commanded their own police, and this was documented and kind of uh, wildly posted around the Russian internet. They ordered police officers to write Putin on fences with spray paint. This was then filmed and put on YouTube and all the opposition channels. After which, kind of a massive laughter erupted. But two days later, they just demolished the fence. Nothing happened to the to the cops, really. But yeah, it's it's like Putin is trying to do everything to kind of uh, show that he's the only sane man in the room, and he's trying to uh, show that people really, really love him, especially in the major cities uh, where uh, the more liberal, western-leaning people live. But the problem here is that he also needs to kind of uh, conjure his image of a strongman. So again, I would interpret his uh, speech in the 1st of March as this as this great posturing and showing us how great he is. Because currently Putin is everywhere on Russian television, even though uh, he's <clears throat> technically not agitating for himself. But uh, yeah, he's now doing everything to get more attention or whatever. And that is why the people who kind of claim boycott come in, which makes uh, all his all this nuclear speech and all the craziness surrounding this election, because it's just crazy insane, and because uh, in Russian opposition circles, they're still arguing about the boycott. Everyone's obsessed with legitimacy. See, uh, the supporters of boycotts say that the election results are predetermined, and they truly are, 
but they say that um, Putin needs a certain amount of population to even like appear uh, in the in kind of the ballot centrals where the people will go and vote to kind of uh, ease to kind of more easily uh, twist the results. Because you know, if you come in and vote, then your vote can be kind of mixed up, and if if uh, a lot of people appear in in these these registered voting places, then it's e easier to cheat there, and it kind of gives legitimacy. And they, for some reason, think that if uh, if like the elections are being boycotted, and if very little people uh, appear on the elections, like refusing to play by Putin's rules, then the Western governments might. Uh, might not uh, might not admit Putin's government as legitimate, thus, you know, ruining his authority and, and, you know, giving them another reason to poke him more. The question is, do we care about the legitimacy? I mean, not like the West has ever concerned itself with, uh, with legitimacy on, on any public, uh, on any public occasion. I mean, uh, sometimes, yes, but the West admits dictators and the West openly works with uh, non-democratic governments, so, hey, they just might as well accept that Putin's government is not a democratic one, and that, obviously, his legitimacy comes elsewhere rather than from the people. But what would, what would this exactly mean? Because right now it seems that uh, the Putin's government is just wasting money doing all these, all these campaigns and propaganda materials and doing a lot of, uh, a lot of advertisements because one of one of the ads that they run on Russian television today is that if if Putin does not get elected and another presidential candidate is, then they will the, those other candidates might raise the recruitment age for the army to this to age of sixty, and that uh, this, this other candidate might actually force families to adopt gay people by law. Yes, I mean if you're gay, then you must be adopted by another other another uh, Russian family. Which is really silly and uh, seems unbelievable, but that's that's kind of they're not Putin's advertisements because Putin is not mentioned there, obviously. But that's what they that's how they advertise uh, people voting. That's that's the way of uh, increasing the percentage of voters, which they run on their state-sponsored public television. You know, if you will not come to the elections, then these things will happen, which is just silly. But yeah, I kind of don't get this idea about this legitimacy because, uh, like I said, West hasn't concerned itself that much and not like the governments in the West like Putin that much anyway and everybody knows that Putin will win anyway and everybody already knows that these elections are fabricated. So, you know, if, if uh, the West were so inclined, they would have just, you know, declared any of the previous elections illegitimate because they, they were cheating there. And they, like, it's been proven using statistics that Putin cheats in his elections. But, but why? This is a thing that I don't understand, and, and I don't know. Uh, then there's this other view that people should go to the elections because Putin's supporters might not go to the elections knowing that Putin will win anyways, and that if, um, if a lot, if like a very tiny number of people come to elections, then it'll be easier for Putin's candidates to win, but if everybody comes and votes for some opposition candidate, then they might kind of do a, do an upset win, or or just force the second round of elections, because in Russia, if you don't gather a majority in the first round, uh, 
but you know, then the two two largest candidates basically have to go to a second round of election, which is crazy all on its own. But um, that this view presumes that uh, the elections will not be kind of uh, faked, which they will be. So then, if you think about Russian's presidential elections, you're you're kind of left thinking about whether or not you you either have to believe that the West cares about the legitimacy of Russian government, even though everybody in the West already knows that it's illegitimate, so why would they change their views after the election? Well, maybe because of formalities, I, I don't know. Or you have to hope that uh, you will get uh, enough voters for, say, Grudinin, that uh, he might actually force a second tour, and that would be awful, because there hasn't been a second tour since Putin rose to power. Because he his uh, proclaimed goal is seventy seventy, that is a seventy percent voting activity in the elections, and seventy percent of those votes go to Putin. That's what he wants. And he's also because of this reason, kind of uh, so that it would be easier to cheat. He's disallowed people uh, like uh, the the election committee has disallowed a huge amount of independent observers to participate in these elections. So they are intending on cheating. It's a huge mess, and I can't really explain it, but uh, apparently they over there care about this. And uh, there's a speculation that even though Putin knows that he will win, he kind of do he's kind of doing all this by inertia, because you know people are used to used to cheating in elections, and they have to run a campaign, even though he's blatantly showing that all the other candidates are even more crazier than he is on national television through these fake debates, uh, who are just there to cause shock and riot and make sure that nobody takes any other candidate seriously, even those who are, like, maybe, slightly possibly not spoiler candidates and haven't been put there uh, put there by Kremlin. But again, the question is, but why? Because uh, not like, like, like I said, everyone in the West knows that the, the elections will be complete fraud, and, and people in Russia know that, and, and it's kind of weird. I think that this might be tied, again, to the speech of the president. See, the main thing why these weapons were there and everything, and how the Putin addressed at the end of this uh, speech when he when he spoke about why Russia needs these weapons, he said, well, previously the West did not want to speak with us, now they will have to listen. And it feels like Putin has turned himself into this uh, petty feudal king who really, really needs respect, because it, it, uh, he threatens war to other countries, because those countries do not respect him, because, you know, he threatens war to other countries all the time, and breaks international laws. So, I think we're talking about some sort of a uh, criminal gang activity here. And economist Stepan Demura had this to say about this, and with this I'll conclude this weird analysis of this strange semi-election process, is that he said that Putin needs this attendance ratio in elections of the 70%, not for the people and not for the foreign governments, but for his own cronies. Because, and this is again just a theory, but it's, it sounds quite more, quite more legit than usual, because if uh, he can show with his results, and with those results obtained without cheating, not, not the cheated in results, because everyone knows he'll cheat, but if he can get enough people to vote for him without fraud, then he can show to his fellow cronies, which, is, which are his real power base, that people are still trusting him and are still behind him, so that he cannot be easily removed. 
basically he needs all the selection fires and he needs all these strong mad activities and he needs to show that he has popular support so that there will be no internal coups. Now, I don't know, but this... Uh, this seems to be the most likely explanation there, and together with Putin's disappearance for uh, for a while, and together with the most recent acts, uh, as this kind of looks like either that or there's no reason uh, at all, and it's just pure inertia, like, this at least explains something. So I do believe, still, that there are possibilities of internal coup, because, hey, the power elite will start losing more and more money due to Western sanctions, and then they might, you know, <laughs> might put someone else who is just simply not Putin in the government so that they can keep their money, but the country can, like, run its course on becoming North Korea and, and basically just staying the way it is. But it's still kind of crazy. Maybe there is something going on, because why otherwise Putin would need show this to his, to his squad. Now, that's uh, that's something that I'll be thinking about, and um, I can assure you I will be following the presidential elections, I will be uh, posting news updates on social media about them all day long in the 18th of March, and it's gonna get crazy. Anyhow, on the next update uh, on current news, which is probably gonna happen next month due to this month just being so full with events, well... <laughs> We'll see how it goes, because, um, again, there are a lot of oppositionaries right now in Russia who just think that in the next six years, if things continue as they are in the economy of Russia, there just might not be any Russia. Or, you know, you might get some strong, some other strong man with its own private army, such as Ramzan Kadyrov, to take over a bit. And then there would be Russia, but it would be even crazier and even more dangerous. This whole thing worries me. But yeah, let's see how it goes, and I hope nobody really makes rash decisions. Thank you for listening, and do свидания, товарищ. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The eastern border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.